Okay, we're recording. So welcome to Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. It's a weekly show that goes out over YouTube and as a podcast over all of the major channels. And each week I get to sit with an inspiring person and listen to them tell their story and share it with all of you. This week is no different. I'm joined by Brian Wood. Woody, welcome, Brian. Thanks for having me. I'll give Brian the uh, the usual introduction. Um, Brian Wood, Colour Sergeant Brian Wood, is a uh, is a um, ex military officer who was in the British Army for 16 years. Uh, has been awarded the Military Cross for bravery. Uh, is an, is now an author, a speaker, uh, a podcaster, and an entrepreneur. And we'll talk about some of his uh, interests looking forward. Also a very competent footballer, by the way, part of the interesting backstory. Uh, the um, 16 years in the British Army took uh, Woody into service in the Balkans, uh, Iraq, and Afghanistan. Uh, and probably uh, the most um, well-known fact of, uh, of Woody's history is the service he did in Iraq, where he led a post-quarter battle, uh, CQB, as it's called, uh, which is hand-to-hand combat in the open desert, uh, descending on um, aggressive uh, militia, uh, so-called the Battle of uh, Danny Boy, and uh, just 23 years of age at the time. And uh, this became a, uh, an infamous incident uh, that uh, Woody got the military cross for, for bravery, uh, and it's a, just a fascinating story, which, by the way, is uh, spelled out in Woody's book, um, Double Cross, fascinating read. I really recommend it. Uh, so we'll talk about, we'll talk about that. Uh, the incident then led, however, to uh, one of the darkest periods of, uh, I guess, uh, history post, uh, post the war in Iraq, which was the Al Sweedy Inquiry, uh, where Woody and uh, others were accused uh, of improper treatment of prisoners uh, during that incident. Uh, and uh, this was presided over by uh, Judge Sir Tane Forbes. Uh, Woody and others involved were completely exonerated. The charges turned out to be uh, uh, untrue. Uh, and in fact, the lead lawyer, the protagonist in this, Phil Shiner, was struck off in 2017. Uh, but as you can probably imagine, five years of being dragged through that uh, after the heroic um, ventures in, in Iraq and other places uh, was, uh, took a huge toll. Um, took five years, 30 million pounds of taxpayer money, uh, and the findings eventually came out in 2014. Woody, uh, being who he is, uh, immediately picked up, picked himself up uh, and actually got onto a bike and did a bike ride with others across the US uh, to raise money in support of the regiment that he was part of, the Princess of Wales uh, Regiment. Uh, an absolutely extraordinary story uh, and What's uh, equally interesting is, is what Woody is up to now, which is uh, in, incredibly inspiring as well. So we'll talk about all of that. Um, incredible background. Uh, let's start with the history and then we'll, we'll move forward and look forward as well. Can you talk a little bit, Woody, about Danny Boy uh, and the life and death decisions on that day? 
Yeah, firstly, thanks very much for having me, Craig. Really, really appreciate uh, you inviting me on. Uh, I don't take anything for granted, so thank you for that. I must say, though, I wasn't an officer. I was a non-commissioned officer um, within the 1st Battalion, the Princess of Wales' Royal Regiment. So um, it's just small detail, but I might get a bit of stick from the lads. (laughs) Sort of that officer kind of spin on it. But, yeah, I mean... It was the 14th of May, 2004, and at 14.30 hours, I was in amongst probably the most violent situation um, in contemporary warfare, I think, possibly. Um, full-on ambush. Didn't know what was going on at this, at this time. It was, it was very different to the normal daily fighting that we were, we were conducting because we were normally fighting in the city of Alamara. But this was different. So it actually started, um, we were tasked to go down and sort of do a rescue mission um, with coalition forces from the Argyll and Southern Highlanders, which was a Scottish regiment. And there were two casualties and we were tasked to go down there and extract them, administer first aid and then get them out of, you know, what was going on because they were also in an ambush. We was in a, an armoured vehicle. We, you know, they're, they're called warriors, and uh, we were en route to go and extract them. And uh, we never even got that far. We were hit, overly violent, and uh, and like I said, I'd been in situations prior to to the fourteenth of May, which would which would test any human being um, to the extreme. But this was different. Like I said, this was we were in the open. I looked at my map. And I knew it was different because it was desert. There was a Pepsi factory nearby, but this was like full on different. There was a bit of confusion because the driver, sorry, the gunner and commander were trying to locate where this ambush site was. They were in the turret, spinning it around to try and identify. And um, and then they started to turn fire. And in the back, you're touching probably, I would say, May... 14th middle east iraq desert your your boiling point in the back of this armored vehicle no aircon so and you've got your body armor on your radio your full kit water ammunition so you've really got to look after your hydration so important because so many people go down with heat exhaustion so it's overly important but then having to then being in this situation that heat temperature then rises because you're now in a situation your body knows that so your adrenaline kicks up you then become hotter you then experience all sorts of emotion fear being the biggest threatening to rip through your veins but at 23 i was i was a leader i was a commander and a decision maker to the younger lads in the back who looked up to me to make the right decisions and i know that and i and i knew that and i was trained and prepped before we went into country in Iraq to to do this and deliver this but you you train train and train and you never know how you're going to react until you're in the moment so like I said I'm in the back of this vehicle it's all but pitch black in there it's very claustrophobic it's red hot and there's a small square window on the back door with condensation and grit and you can't see a lot out of it so it's you're very disorientated I'm allowing the, the, the commander 
to do his thing because I don't want to put him any under, under more pressure because there's stuff going on in the radio. He's trying to identify what's what, what we're in amongst at the moment. So I leave him to do that because it's good practice. And then after a couple of minutes, I then asked him what was going on. And he said, Woody, we're against dug-in militia fighters. At the moment, probably located 15 to 20 fighters. Weapon systems are Dushkas, which is a 12.5 calibre. Um, AK-47s, 7.62 calibre. RPGs, which is rocket-propelled grenade launchers. So they had, you know, they were very, very well armed. And there was a lot of them. And uh, we were suppressing. So we were, you know, the vehicle was in fully engaging uh, with the militia at this point. So then I basically spoke to the lads in the back and just basically relayed what he told me because they can't hear because only the commander can speak to the, the gunner and the, the commander and the driver and me. So it's four of us. And then I verbally speak to the boys in the back. So I told him what I knew and they were just kind of waiting to, to figure out what was going on. And you could see in there, you know, they were, they were anxious that this was different to, to the norm. And then a few minutes later, I was um, given an order to prepare me and my men in the back to, to get out of the vehicle and launch a counter attack on this heavily dug in trench type position. And um, I actually asked him again to repeat the command because it shocked me a little bit um, and took me by surprise. So I asked him again what, to repeat his word of command. He said that they're not having the effect that they wanted to because they're in these like zigzag type trench trenches and they're just getting up they're they're engaging they're getting down they're moving and it, we just can't make a difference so we needed boots on the ground there's only three of us at this at this point so i was like okay and then uh like i said you experience all sorts of emotion because i do not know i'm sheltered in this vehicle because it's fully armor and once that back door opens, I'm not even too sure what's going to happen. So I wanted to at least get a visualisation. So me actually physically seeing this position. But to do that, I wanted to, to go into a holding position. So I wanted to get out of the vehicle, go into a bit of cover if there was any, to then take a pause, two, three, cigar moment, because everyone's entitled to a cigar moment no matter what world that you're in or business that you're in, when you're under pressure, you can have a cigar moment, which is a pause two, three, relax, have a look at the situation and then re-engage. And that's what I needed to do. So I asked my commander if there was, um, if there was an area when I get out of the back of the vehicle that I could go to, to then pause cigar moment and then go up and have a look and then figure out how we're going to approach this. And he said there was. Once the door opens, 11 o'clock, there's a, there's a ditch, dried out sort of waddy type. And uh, Woody, just sorry to interrupt your flow, but just to paint the picture, so it's hugely hot inside and there's 15 to 20 people firing at you. Right? Yeah. So I imagine the noise from that hitting the armour must have been overwhelming and now you're getting out of the vehicle. Yeah, I mean, it's very muffled in the back. So... You can only imagine it. You've got like it's it's called Chobham armor. So you've got this special armor, um, which it's pinging off the vehicle. But because it's so thick, you can just hear. Yeah, so it's not. It's very muffled. 
but I knew it would change because the noise then would come into a deafening sound. And uh, and that can also disorientate you because it's so loud. You know, we've got on our vehicle, we've got a, a 30 millimeter Raden, which, you know, it's it powers in and that makes proper noise. And they've got R762 chain gun going as well, which is very loud. So I knew once that door opens, one, I'm going to be kind of blinded because of the light from coming out of this dark claustrophobic backspace to then into the bright light of the desert, not having a clue where this holding position is and just having courage, grit, determination and that will to, to, to just go together. And that's what it really was. I even said to the boys before we left, are we ready? And are you gonna, are you boys going to come? And for me, as a leader, I think it's a good trait to be by example. So I was going to go first to hopefully inspire the guys to follow. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he said 11 o'clock. It's, it's going to be there. You'll see it. It's a, it's a dark scar. And, um, and then he, in five seconds, was then going to start giving me really, like, horrendously powerful fire support. So the door starts to open and that our vehicle is really engaging. The noise is horrendous. My heart is smashing against my body armor plate. And um, and I just take one step on that sand and I could see where I needed to go. And I didn't even look anything else other than that first phase. And I went and I dived down on my stomach and then looked to my left and see the, the bravest two other men running and joining me. And... Um, yeah, three of us kind of laid out. And I had a little bit of a laugh. It was a nervous laugh, if I'm honest, because I couldn't even believe what was going on, if I'm honest. I'm like, this is crazy. And I had a bit of a, like, a, like a laugh. I started laughing, thinking, what's happening here? And the lads looked at me and was like, right, let's check ourselves that we're not, we haven't been hit because adrenaline yeah. is like an out-of-body experience. And there's so many soldiers that have been, you know, hit either shot or been hit by a blast with an IED that they don't, know that they've been hit because of the adrenaline so we we quickly checked over ourselves and we was all all fine and then um i don't know we waited for a while i identified the location it was about 120 meters to our front um super violent i can see because when when we fire our weapons and it's the same as the enemy there's like trace rounds so it lights up the rounds light up so the ammunition light up and I've seen so many green tracers. I was thinking, oh my God, that's a lot of ammunition that they've, they're engaging the vehicle with because the vehicle was still the main target. Spoke to the lads, had a little um, estimate figuring out what we're going to do. We're going to go right flanking, are we going to go left flanking or we're we just going to brave it and go straight down the middle hard and fast. And it concerned me going right because I didn't know what was out on the right hand side. You know, flank interference is a big thing. Going left, we were too close to the vehicle, and I just thought that there would potentially be um, a case of blue on blue, which is friendly on friendly, which happens occasionally because it's just so tight. Some things and it's, it's accidents happen during warfighting, or we go down the middle. But there's a big concern going down the middle because it's the killing area. That's what we call it. It's just a funnel, but it's quicker. And um, I thought, right, boys, we're just going to go up and go at it, go straight down the middle and just grizz it. And then as we were talking, two other lads from another vehicle now has turned up. So we've got two vehicles and now we've got two other soldiers which have just joined us 
one was a commander more experienced than what I was. And uh, he was one promotion up from me. So he's a full corporal. And uh, he then sort of done his decision making. We agreed that the best course of action was just to go up, work as two teams, a team of three, which is me and two, two of my guys who I got out of the vehicle and his two, uh, sorry, him and plus one. And yeah, we agreed to just go. And do you know what, right? I watched um, 1917 not, not so long ago, which was an incredible film directed by Sean Mendes. And um, there, was a, there was a clip in that film where they were just about to go over the top. Yeah. And it made me have goosebumps because I could absolutely relate to that moment. It really was going back to like the Second World War and um, going over the top and I was like, well, the First and Second World War. And uh, yeah, it gave me real goosebumps because I then all of a sudden seen myself where he was and uh, and it really was like that. And yeah, we decided to go up and then we started to, to work as a team and uh, we got closer and closer. We didn't sustain any casualties because what we said, if we were going to get hit, let's close with and destroy the enemy let's deal with that position and then we'll come back and get you because we're only had limited men on the ground at this, this stage. There's only five of us against five uh, against 15 to 20. Yeah. Yeah. So heavily outnumbered. So we started to the approach and, um, yeah, I mean, it was then just, you know, a lot of balls, uh, commitment, you know, we committed so therefore we were going to continue to, to move forward. And then on the, yeah, like I said, on the fallback, that we call that the withdrawal. So I then knew we had the upper hand on on this enemy stronghold. And uh, we're working together as a team. We managed to um, get into the first position. There was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of trauma. There was, you know, enemy dead. They'd been hit by all sorts of calibre of ammunition. So you can only imagine what that looked like. It was, but in the moment, you can't think of that. You've just got to switch on to deal with what's in front of you. And there was a lot of shouting. There was, you know, a lot of commotion. I was, I've never done this before. So I was trying to figure it out. And the other lads were doing their thing. And we were just trying to get sort of some control on this situation because it was carnage. And as we were working stuff out, then we become engaged again from the, the the militia fighters who had fallen back. So now we're in this position. There's bodies everywhere. There's 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 militia fighters who are still alive trying to, you know, being aggressive, trying to have a conversation with us and shouting and we're trying to calm it all down. We're trying to divide the enemy dead from the now POWs, prisoner of war, because now these are prisoner of wars. And uh, we're trying to sort the weapon systems out because they were all laid out as an ambush. So it was scaring me because I thought that they were going to be a chance to pick the weapon up and quickly spray me. So I was trying to figure that out as well. And yeah, it was just a, it was a, a tough, tough um, kind of, yeah, experience that I was going through, not never doing it, never been in that situation before. And we managed to sort of get control of, of that situation after, you know, trying to figure it all out. And then I remember taking my, a, a kind of a seat in this position. So I sat down and it was the first time that I could then uh, have a, some, some water and, and in, 
on operations in the summer, you're always drinking boiling water because there's no way to cool the water. It's just red hot and it's just something that we have to just get on with. And I remember sipping this boiling water thinking, what has just gone on here? And then all of a sudden, my company sergeant major turns up. So he is probably the most inspirational leader of men that he's just got so much experience and so much leadership command and control and just an all-round great guy. And he turned up and said to me, Woody, um, just give me a back brief on what's happened here. So I quickly ran through what's happened. And he asked me a big question, integrity question, actually. And he asked me if the battlefield was clear. And for a moment, I wanted to say it was because I was so lucky to be alive at this point. So lucky. We all were very lucky to be alive. And uh, But I knew it wasn't because I'd physically seen militia fighter fall back. So I said, oh, sir, it's not clear. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I've seen fighters withdraw and fall back. And he said, right, put a fresh magazine on of ammunition. Me and you are going to go and do a clearance patrol up the South Bank. And I was like, oh, doesn't sound great. But if I was going to do a clearance patrol with anyone, it would be my sergeant major. So me and him went off. And in the first first 80 metres, we come up decisively engaged again on the right-hand side. And my sergeant major was, was a lot quicker off the mark neutralized that threat and as i bounded forward honestly it was like um i reckon a meter that a militia fire tried to um release an rpg at mid chest height to me and uh, i just engaged him you know probably about four or five rounds to the chest you know area but then one um hit his jugular and that stuck me for years after because the noise that it made and not in that moment i just was was i was in survival mode then against this enemy and uh the noise that it made it just i kind of just switched it off and uh you know went forward again and i actually said i had a bit of moral courage and said to my sergeant major i said sir we're really vulnerable we need to go back to the main position because only you and me and he was like no i agree and then on the way back i see movement put brummel weapon up and um they then threw their weapons down and uh surrendered and uh, we went up there you know took them as arrested them took them as prisoners of war and do you know what as well on the way back so as we're walking these prisoners of war i seen two of our medics working so hard to try and revive these militia fighters but years later in courtroom none of this was spoken about which and i know i'm digressing slightly but this was in the moment. So as I'm walking back, I'm seeing our medics who are overly fatigued, really working hard, trying to revive and, and stabilise uh, casualties of war. And none of this is spoken about, you know, and it it just broke me in, in that courtroom when nothing, none of that was discussed. And uh, so I've got walking back, I'm seeing the medics working hard on, on these militia fighters and uh, we get back and then process the POWs that we've got and then I sit on the bank and have another drink and actually there's photos of me um, doing so just sat just drinking this water and uh, a couple of minutes later my sergeant major come over again and said look Woody we've, there's been an order from command so higher up in brigade because it was such a strong pre-planned attack on British coalition forces and we were in the middle of an uprising and the main militia leader was Muqtadr al-Sada. They believed that he was either killed or captured in this heavy ambush. So the orders were we had to then bring all the enemy dead back to camp 
and the POWs back to camp for identification. So I looked at him, so fatigued, battle shocked, drained. And I was like, I can't believe that. So we then had to go and pick, you know, these enemy combatants up. You know, not only, you know, taking someone's life is so hard. And, you know, even as soldiers, I'm a human being. You know, I've got the same emotions as everyone else. You know, I'm, pa- I'm patriotic. I love my country and I wanted to stand for something, which was to serve my country. You know, I didn't know. You know I, I knew that there could be a time or a place where I could potentially be going on operation, but I never thought that I was going to be fighting like this hand to hand and, you know, and taking someone's life because, you know, yes, we train for that, but I never thought I would actually be in that situation to do that. So then, then to then go back and pick these bodies up, do you know what hurt so much? Because there were young, young fighters. And now I'm a lot older as well. I do reflect on a lot of stuff. I've got two beautiful kids of my own who one's 16 and, uh, and the other's 11 years old. And, this this lad I'm picking up, this fighter I'm picking up, is like 17 years old, and I'm just like, it's hard yards, you know. But it's that's realities of war, and you know these were indoctrinated fighters who wanted to kill us, you know they they ambushed us and they wanted to take our lives, and we were trying to rebuild and stabilize a, a broken you know area of operation, Bin Alamara, and regardless of what your political outlook is because i get asked that a lot as well i don't make the decisions to go to war and war is brutal war is absolutely carnage and it has such a damaging effect on so many but you know people make decisions and we have to support them decisions and go and when we go into foreign fields you know some bad crazy things happen and um You've got to react to their moments. And that was one when I was picking up these bodies. I've got then JC, the gunner, not really being violently sick. And I'm telling him to sit down and we're picking up parts, you know, and trying to put them in in bags and stuff. It's just, it was such a hard thing to do. And then load them up into the vehicles. And then we then start to make our way back to, to where our main operating base was we got there there was so much commotion and um i was then told to take the vehicle up to the regimental aid post where the doctor was he he had the body bags and he was going to then give us clear direction what needed to happen so i ground commanded the vehicle up and um doctor was there he said right get the door open press the door there was no movement within the door and i was like i just can't believe this is even happening because it's an armored door and um, it's it's on a hydraulic system, right? Because you can't open it like a car door because it's so heavy. It's on hydraulics, and um, they pressed the button. It wasn't opening, and I knew the only other way to get the door open was for someone to climb through the back over the bodies and then manually do it. So we actually played paper, rock, scissors to see who was going to do it, and my driver. Um, lost and then he like put a shemag around his face head torch on and started to make his way and you can only imagine the, the, the smell was that bad it was coming out of the armor you know you're talking feces you're talking you know man fat blood you name it it was the stench was horrendous 
and um, we're trying to reassure him, talking him that it's going to be okay. He starts to open this um, the, the back door, and he gets kind of part way open where you can kind of go out from it sideways. And I hear a load of screaming. I'm like, what's happening now? So I ran around the back. He's run out and shouting, "He's alive! He's alive!" And I was like, "Who's alive?" And I've then looked in, and he wasn't the, the militia fighter wasn't alive due to the nature of his his wounds. But he was sat up bolt right with his eyes open, which obviously freaked the, my driver out. And um, yeah, he just and that incident, that incident alone, has punished his life to date with mental health. Really, really punished him to the points. No of, doubt. Yeah, to the points of you know debating whether he's going to be here or not. So yeah, I mean, it was such a tough, tough tough time and then we, we we did what we had to do i then remember kind of taking my because we were covered in blood and and there is some some photos on my social media um that i've posted on um anniversaries nothing it's just it's it's the aftermath of of the battle really it's just us kind of battle shocked um clothes you know kate's Cakes in blood. We're just sat there, lads smoking. Really, don't really understand what's going on, and they're just real um, aftermaths of 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 war photos, really. And uh, like I said, there's no blood or gore or anything like that, other than being on our combats. It's just you can you can see that they've been involved in something which will, would have changed their life forever, no doubt. And um, yeah. yeah, I took my clothes off took them down to the burns pit, burnt my clothes, and then I went into the shower. And these shower cubicles um, were... It was always a risk getting a shower because we were getting mortared so often. Mortars were coming in all the time. But do you know what? I was so probably battle-shocked that I didn't care for anything else rather than getting in a shower. And I remember leaning up against the shower and the, the, the water kind of running off and the blood and stuff and the, the grit so way down the plug and I'm just like looking at it thinking what on earth happened you know such a crazy crazy time but that's yeah well, basically that's but the battle of Danny Boy in a nutshell really absolutely uh horrific and unimaginable for any of us who haven't been involved in battle uh, battlefield situations and absolutely extraordinary courage I I just I can't imagine making decisions uh, as you did, and the confusion and heat and noise uh, that that you did, and you know you uh, also were responsible as a leader to motivate people to put their lives on the line in a in a very lethal uh, situation. Um, having uh, you, of course, got the military cross for for the event, rightly so. Uh, returned. I'm skipping. Uh, uh, a little bit of timeline here, but um, on return, you, you alluded that, uh, to it earlier, and your book indeed is called Double Crossed. You then found yourself uh, accused of uh, inappropriate action on the field. Um, what was that like? Hardest time of my life, if I'm honest. Um, and the allegations were murder, mutilation, and mistreatment. So they were of the most serious allegations. And the way I found out was a bit of a shame, really, from 
you know, the MOD, which there's a lot of lessons learned that I highlighted in, in the book because I was sent a letter. Yeah, I was, it was all, it was unexpected. I was not happy the way, you know, I kind of received it, lack of support. Um, but look, you know, people make mistakes as part of human life and it's, it's what happens. It's just how we learn from that. And, and that's why I really wanted to put in the book and highlight some key er errors on what we could have done better because receiving a letter which was sent to my home and my wife opened then she's phoning me because I was on a course at the time commando course explaining me what this letter said then I'm ringing my regiment they're telling me yeah it's true there's going to be also um, a palmer and it's going to be on whose orders is getting released and when that was released that was it it went all over the place in the press in the papers um all of my friends and family knew, obviously, of what I'd been involved in with the Battle of Danny Boy because I was awarded the Military Cross. And um, I was then getting questions thrown at me, uh, messages, emails. And I was, like, forever sort of justifying my actions. I was like, this is not even true. How has it even got traction? How has it gone on to Panorama? Why are they making out that we're barbaric murderers when it was none of what they were saying? And why has it even got momentum it's all lies how and um these were all the questions that i was asking myself and you know i was i was dealing with what i'd experienced on operational tours and it just wasn't the battle of danny boy which was a serious event but i was involved in so many traumatic events throughout you know my my times on operations from adam llewellyn getting hit by a petrol bomb and losing all of his skin and, um, you know, and seeing someone who I looked up to so hurt, so damaged, um, you know, that was a big thing for me. In my second tour of Iraq, I was third person onto a suicide where unfortunately one of our soldiers put a weapon in his mouth and pressed the trigger. And, you know, having to, I was like involved in that. Johnson Bahari, who went on to award, you know, be awarded the Victoria, Victoria Cross, um, you know, I, he saved my life when I was blown up two weeks prior to Danny Boy. And then I then went and uh, in 1st of June, you paid that compliment back by dragging him out of a vehicle when he was hit. And uh, so there was like so many more incidents that I was trying to manage at this time as well on the allegations. Not doing a great job because I didn't know how to. I wasn't brave enough to speak about my mental headspace, what was what I was thinking how what I was going through just because I think pressure on what everyone else was would think of me and uh, I was in an all-male organization I was a leader commander decision maker and uh, and all of a sudden I'm under so much pressure within my headspace I knew I needed to get it sorted but I was so scared on what other people would think of me for doing that. Um, which is naive really and it took me a long time to actually go and seek some professional help, but it wasn't too late. It definitely too long because I've caused a lot of problems within my household by not being a very nice person. But I still managed to go and seek some help. And I, I did that during the allegations because it just got too much for me. Because, you know, like I said, when you're branded as a murderer in cold blood, do you know what it hurts? Especially when I know what we'd gone through and what we'd done and what we had achieved. And it just wasn't none of the sorts what was happening. And uh, unfortunately, we had, 
you know, the likes of Phil Shiner, who at one point was very good, outstanding at what he did as um you know as a as a lawyer. But unfortunately, you know, his his uh, moral compass went wayward and uh because of his reputation he was taken serious. But what he was doing was paying bungs of money to middlemen in Iraq, meeting them on borders, having like these sort of client engagements and in money talks and unfortunately we were paying the price for it because all of a sudden now my my life is upside down and my career I don't know I can't even focus on my career and I was flying at this point as well you know I was a colour sergeant at a young age and I you know I was down at Limston instructing the Royal Marines being in the army and going down there and doing my thing down there that's a big that's a big thing that's prestigious so all of a sudden I'm all, all over the place and it just hurt so much because I was having to then go over statements after statements after statements. So all of a sudden I'm now involved in Danny boy every day and it is, it's, I can't even, I don't even, I haven't got the words to explain how tough that was. Well, I was, I was rereading some of the, uh, some of the chapters, um, pages where you account for the questions and you talk you talk about the internal struggle you had with it you know here were you um a war hero being questioned and the questions that you were being asked uh were being asked by people who have never had battle experience and if you're a uh, a military person with battle experience um, you know, they're, they're not great questions, right? Is it left or right? Well, yeah. you know, th this sort of this sort of thing, and uh, just interrogated. It must have been difficult to keep your cool. Did you feel? Uh, do you bear a grudge? No, don't bear a grudge. Um, what what I would and I, I say this in the book because the, the fascinating thing is when you read the the, the court transcripts it's actually a direct extraction because it was a public inquiry it, it, it's all word for word because they're transcripts from being out in the public so we can't you can't go wayward it's it's true to fact because it's a public inquiry so when you're reading the 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 um questions that are being you know put over to me they are verbatim so and it's frustrating because even people who have no military experience, they're reading that and going, why is he even asking them questions? That's like, that's not fair. And, um, yeah, so they are a true reflection to, to what's, what was said in that room. And look, you know, these people without a doubt are very good at what they did, but what frustrated me is they didn't have this sort of, oh, it's a bad word to use, but credibility. They didn't know what it was like on operations. They didn't know, you know, the tempo, the decision-making in split second, you get a chance to make decisions in extreme situations. Split seconds, you get it wrong. It's not money, it's human life, or you're a casualty. Then that kind of opens up another can of worms because now you have to go into the whole CASI-back procedure of getting this casualty out in the golden hour and getting back to a field hospital. And that opens up so many different other areas. And, uh, and when people are questioning your integrity, I live by my values. You know, there was instilled by my dad and then I was educated through the military and they were all dissected. So I understood my values and I really 
was proud of them. And, um, you know, to have them questioned in the dock with people who didn't know me, they didn't have the first clue. They just saw the bad, what, what they thought had happened or what the Iraqis had said. And, uh, and it just wasn't fair, you know, taking them off the battlefield alive, lining up against the wall and then shooting them all dead. Who does that? How can that just doesn't happen? And it hasn't happened. And it's not what we did. You know, we were under that much pressure and we, we did something that a lot of people thought was unachievable. And mm-hmm. sudden now I'm just like, yeah, the military cost wasn't even mentioned. It was a probably other than my children being born, the proudest time of my life, going to Buckingham Palace, taking my mum and dad and, and my wife and, uh, you know, having the Queen put that middle on my chest and saying it's not very often she gets to, to, do, to do this and she's very proud of me. And, and then now I'm like, you know, Winston Churchill once said, you know, a medal glitters, but it, it casts a shadow. Shadow, yeah. it was definitely the shadow being cast and uh it's just yeah it was just a such a hard hard time um but I, I, read, I read somewhere what the queen actually said to you when she awarded you the medal can you can you remember the words ask me what i did and i said i closed with and destroyed um enemy trench and she said outstanding bravery and when you wear it you wear it with pride well, well, looks, I, I don't want to give too much airtime to the inquiry, honestly, Woody. Uh, it was debunked as a pile of nonsense, yeah. um, uh, but a pile of nonsense that's, that lasted five years, dragged you and your colleagues through hell uh, after and, the trauma. And, of, and cost £31 million pounds of taxpayers' and, money. And cost £31 million pounds of tax, taxpayer money. Um, so... What what a dark what a dark period and hopefully as you say lessons learned from that. What I'm very interested in asking you though is uh, what you've taken from that. Um, what what you know you and I have met a, a couple of times now and what impresses me um, enormously. There's many things that impress me, but what impresses me enormously is that you probably asked about the the events that we've talked about many times, but you've not let them define you. They've become a toolkit uh, for you indeed, and your eyes are, are firmly fixed on the uh, forward-looking horizon, uh, and you're building from it with a, with a message of resilience uh, and hope. Can you talk a little bit about some of the lessons that you learned, not only in the battlefield, but in the domestic battlefield, so to speak, that then followed? Absolutely. So the biggest thing for me was when you're going through a real demand, and it can be anything, always be true to yourself was a big thing for me you know never let anyone strip you from from my value so I I always try to remain true to to what I stood for and who I was as a person and it was tough sometimes because when you're going through so much negativity it's sometimes infectious and it gets into you and I was just trying to counter that with the good that I am as a human being and what I've done and my family and so that kind of motivated me to keep keep on the try and keep on that that clear path and sometimes I flirted with the verge because I was going through quite a lot but I then had an incredible ethos and hopefully we get time to talk about it you know as we as we wrap up but there was an incredible ethos and mantra that I live by which which was you know I've got to keep attacking I've got to keep moving forward I can't give up I can't quit because when I do, it's going to be so hard to regain from that. And I was going through all of these different experiences and emotions and 
and uh, figuring out, okay, now what can I take away from this? So for me, on that the, the mental health side of it, a big thing for me was physical activity. That had to be involved in my toolkit because it's a stimulant, it gets my endorphins going, and then it's my thinking space in my time that I can get away from the moment and, and do things. It's structure. It's um, getting myself planned and prepped which is really important for for the weeks ahead or the or the day ahead and you know just kind of and communicating was huge for me not taking on everything on my own you know we all go through a lot of pressure no matter what walk of life that you're in but it for me it was let's let, let's talk about it because someone could actually have an answer that I'm looking for. But if I didn't ask the question or wasn't brave enough to talk about it, I would never know. And it's my heavy burden of carrying, but a problem shared we know is a problem halved and, and there's some really good people out there. So that was something else that I dived into and, 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 um, and I'll tell you what, I've got some great people which have really helped me along the way, which I owe a lot to. And, um, and just, maintain when i was going through still a bit of a demand i maintained a dream i maintained a vision and and i maintained trying to be that family man that i was and uh I like, yeah it's it, it it's got me to a really really good place where i'm at the moment because yes you that your experiences the bad ones especially define who you are but you take away key lessons from it you take away key tools from it and you go in and implement them on your future journey because that's the now. You can't control what happened in the past, but you can control what's what your next move is going to be because you are there to dictate that. And that's where I'm at the moment. And um, I've never been had, I've never had more clarity and vision. It's clear, you know, where before it's kind of a bit misty, but now it's so clear. I've got so much drive, motivation and energy and um yeah i'm just really excited now and uh yeah well we we met back in in march um 2020 uh i think the week before lockdown and yeah. um i do want to talk about your ethos because i think it's such an important part of your story um do read the book i'll, I'll put the link below uh there's a lot of detail it's incredibly well written so congratulations on You've really brought it to life in such a humble uh, and plain way. And uh, you, you kind of just feel as best we can if, if for those of us who haven't fortunately experienced what you have. You, you bring it to life in such a visceral way. Uh, so the, the book is excellent. You've got a podcast as well, well worth uh, listening to. Um, I'll put links uh, below this for, for, for those interested in, in following up on that. Um, what you're wearing now, uh, is the the latest of many ventures. Um, it's your apparel label, your merch label. Keep attacking. I've all, all also got mine on. I've got the NHS version with the the rainbow um, color scheme here. Uh, and apart from being awesome exercise and fitness clothing, um, and actually casual wear as well, uh, there's a real story behind. Uh, what you're doing with keep attacking the the brand and the logo? Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's something that honestly I'm so proud of. And um, so I've all, I've wanted to do something for 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 over a year, 
I just wanted to get it right and I took my time and I wanted the the mantra was always going to be keep attacking because it's it's dragged me through so much and um I, and I also know that that mantra is so relatable which was my main mission to make something relatable for everyone because life is beautiful but it's an incredible demand and I believe if you use that mantra and figure something out and have that keep attacking ethos and attitude that it does get better and I spent a lot of time working on that especially the logo I wanted the logo to mean something to the family so it's actually this is the, it's a w in my surname wood and um it's i think it's clean it's it looks good and it's not too much and with that mantra i think it's the right fit and it took ages to get it but then once i had it i then knew i then ordered a load of different products in and i went myself and i tested everything because another thing for me is accountability if it's not good enough, there's only one person to blame, and that's me. And I will hold my hand up and say, I absolutely take that because I, I launched that. It's people's money that are going to be buying this kit, especially through what we're going through now, so it has to be done right. So I went and trained in all of the kit, walked in it, ran in the gym, done everything. And uh, I was really happy with the products. And then I didn't have any money didn't have a zero money, not one penny. So I thought, right, how do I, how do I do this, but also generate potential funds for, um, to grow the, the range. So I said, well, I'm going to do a two week pre-order. There's a, there's a bit of a buzz because it looked quite good. We'd done a little video that we released and, um, and, and we'd done a pre-order, right? 10, 10, 10 days. I think it was, it went nuts. Could not believe it. And I was like, wow. So then I took a bit of a risk and then used some of the money within the business. Um, not much, but I went and got some more products, took them away, trialed them, tested them, and then just done some um, small lead-ups to the new kind of kit that I was going to be releasing. And then everyone was just grabbing hold of it and really relating to the mantra, which was more important. I said to you before we went live, you know, the sales figures and stuff, what we've done today, and we'll, we can talk about that, is incredible. But what's what is more important to me is the messages that I'm receiving on what Keep Attacking is doing for the individuals. I'm getting sent messages and photographs of someone going through chemotherapy, you know, on a machine saying, Woody, I'm Keep Attacking through this. Thank you so much for this mantra. I've got a six-year-old on the BMX Championship has got Keep Attacking on his helmet. You know, I'm getting sent messages from Canada saying my business, you know, was kind of nearly gone and we got together and we used your keep attacking ethos. And I'm like, that's that's what I wanted to achieve. That was my mission and, and that was my main effort. You know, everything was a byproduct. The thing is, I've never had money. So it's not been the overwhelming um, push for me and, and main thing for me because I've just served my country with, you know, with pure joy and I'm, I'm, I'm patriotic. So that will come if it's if if it's if it's something that I've created is, is good and, and it's got longevity. And do you know what? It's gone supersonic. Honestly, we're dispatching all over the world. From our kitchen, we call it the humble keep attacking kitchen. And we've just had a small extension done and we can't even like enjoy it at the moment because it's just gone 
wild but i wouldn't have it any other way and this is what makes it really cool because it's the journey but we're at a stage now that we're going on to phase two had a you know we've after so we're five months old today actually i forgot about that so yeah we've we turned five months old today and we've done um a hundred and two thousand pounds worth of sales in yeah in five months so i honestly i can't believe it either it's just yeah i just didn't expect it to go like it has and i'm just so proud of people being able to really use that mantra and and get them out of situations or rally them up for that that sporting arena to to keep punching forward and you know if you if you're persistent and and you want it that much that and you keep attacking you'll get you'll get your chance so craig i don't even know what to say really other than it's been a whirlwind five months i'm now in in talks to go into phase two because it's got a lot of excitement and it's and people know so we're having these conversations it's like what's going on well it's amazing you deserve i hope the the, the brand and the company keeps on growing becomes a, a global uh modeler uh, you deserve all of the success financial and otherwise uh, from it uh, but as as you say the message underneath the brand is what matters and we're filming this in July 2020 we're sort of in the UK here coming out the back of harsh lockdown but you know very cautiously there's um, uh, there's uh, you know a, a lot of uh, steep terrain so to speak ahead of us economic uh, as well as linked to uh, to health as as we sort of come in and out of, uh, of contagion so the message is, is just more important than ever and to hear that it's applying to so many different fields uh, uh, is just gives me joy because it's you know what what you uh, had envisioned for the for the brand. I mean this this channel is all about inspiration and Woody, you've just got got that in in spades. You're an incredible leader. You're an incredibly humble guy, uh, and you're giving a, a, a nation and and beyond many nations um, the courage and hope. Uh, that's needed at this time. I'll leave. I'll leave the quote closing words to you. If you're watching this, for anyone watching this, any advice uh, from what you've learned through all of your uh, all of your travels in business and uh, in battle. Yeah, I mean it's it's a tough one, but you know, for me, it's it's, it's be kind. Always have a purpose, have a vision, and have a drive and keep attacking through whatever battle that you're in at the moment, be it business, mental health, you know, your, your vision, you're entitled to have that. And it will, it will be created if you have that unstoppableness attitude and, um, and just smile and be kind with it. What, what wonderful advice. Um, Brian Wood, you're a British hero and an inspiration to me and many others. Thank you very much for joining me. I'm no hero, honestly. I'm just Woody from a small village in Hampshire, uh, doing what's what I think is right for 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 my family. And um, but honestly, I, I may not take anything for granted. It's a real honour for me to to come on and uh, and be part of your YouTube channel. And also, don't forget that my life story has been commissioned and optioned and budgeted, and we're now in development for a film. So. <laughs> Oh my goodness, watch this face then. <laughs> so yeah, 
I'll, I'll leave. I'll just leave that there. So yeah, it's watch this space. It's it's crazy, and I didn't expect any of it. So let's see what happens. Thank you very much. No worries. My pleasure.